Yeah. Is this our only other box of oatmeal? Um, I think there's another one in there, but this will be the next one. Okay. Uh, this is the snack pack program. Uh, it's done through the District 5 Foundation with uh, District 5 schools. We have two of the local District 5 schools and we pack between 23 and 30 packs a week for students in need. Uh, we'll take a pack to the school, the social worker will take it to the student that needs it, they'll take it home, and then we do that each week uh, throughout the year. Um, during the holiday periods, we'll give them a little bit more. If the school's out an extra day, they'll get a little bit more. Um, and we, we'll do it the entire school year. Patrick Olson reached out to me once they wanted to start the program and I immediately wanted to help it was a program that helped my family growing up. My little brother was still in high school, my dad got sick, and he was able to get things like toothbrushes, deodorants, toothpastes through the school social worker, and that really took a lot of, of us. Um, my dad passed away when he was a senior in high school, and so he lived with me a lot during that time, and I was young, I was just starting out, just got married, I didn't have a lot, so it was just one thing that you know, was taken off of our plates so that we could focus on my dad or, um, you know, each other. We are able to give back to that now. Um, it honors my parents. It gives back to what gave to me, which I'm really big on. So it's a program I love. I do. The generosity of Radius Church has really helped this program be what it is. Um, and I can't thank everyone enough for everyone that's brought something or called me and asked what we need. It's been inspiring. So this is the last all radius of 2022. If you knew it, radius, we do this 10 times a year and it holds our six going on seven churches together. Uh, we have our own personalities. We have our own uh, geography that we take responsibility for. But we really enjoy being a family. So 10 times a year we get together like this and we celebrate stuff. We celebrate stuff like Megan's story. That's from over there at Radius Irmo. It's birthed out of the work of planting that church. We celebrate that story. That's our story. That's our family. This time of year we pool all our resources. If you haven't heard, we call it Give Hope. And we pool all our resources to make more stories. Give Hope was birthed out of us being a little frustrated with how the Christmas time uh, disbursement of funds worked. And so uh, Todd Carnes, who used to lead Radius Church, he had been a missionary in Russia and was just really passionate about us always being generous. He used to use a phrase, extravagant generosity. We've actually built it into our mission statement. We said we're going to live generously. I grew up reading stories, grew up in Christ, reading stories about a guy named George Mueller who took care of orphans. And uh, man, we, as leaders here at Radius, we, we want to represent Jesus well in our community by, by being ge generous as we can be. So give hopes that. Last year, $350,000 was pooled into one big pot, and we've been able to share it over the course of the 12 months of the year. I, I just heard a great story this week. Sean Coffey, uh, the youth, youth leader over at uh, Radius Centerville, actually had an interaction with a guidance counselor and heard about a need. I can't go into detail. He could tell y'all out at Centerville about it, but he actually heard about a need for a family that needed heat. And uh, he, he coordinated the effort to help solve their heat problem. 
because the guidance counselor passed it on to him and they both knew that there was, there was Give Hope money available to do some of that work. We actually got a young guy on our staff named Jared who can fix anything. And so between two guys, nothing makes me more happy than two guys under 25 taking care of business, loving their radius. And that's exactly what happened because last year, many of you decided to participate in Give Hope and we had that big pool of money to be able to share with our community. If you uh, just want a little detail about it, Give Hope is designed to go through our partners. And so here's what partners look like. So on one hand, we through the years have been able to partner with teachers, administrators, guidance counselors, folks in the school districts in the Midlands that are closely connected to folks in need. And so those partners, we vetted and we keep up with them over the course of the year. And some of them have dropped off and some of them added. We work on that really hard. We, we actually outgave that. So props to you and to us. And so then we began using some community partners. We have a variety of community partners that care for people that are impoverished, specifically in the Midlands. And so we've been able to take some of those funds and pass them along to them. And they do a terrific job of distributing them and using them to folks in need. And then finally, you, you the partners. I don't know if you know this, but at Radius Church, we call what maybe you traditionally heard as members. We call them partners. And so the partners of Radius are constantly coming up with causes in our community, in their neighborhoods where folks have some sort of a need. And so you've been able to take some of those resources in a benevolent kind of way and, and get them to folks who really have a need. Nothing makes us more excited, right? Again, our mission statement is to glorify God by making disciples, planting churches, and living generously. And so living generously, a big part of that comes out of this give hope time of year. Some of y'all, y'all also know that our other funds, hey, our core ministry at Radius Church is making disciples. And that's the general fund. Some of y'all been taking a percentage of your income and throwing it in there for years on end. And you have blessed our community and us, us, the church. We've, we've been made disciples as we walk together in our faith to follow Jesus Christ. And then uh, we've opened up this opportunity fund, which is really focused on the future, primarily future opportunities where we can plant churches or, or grab something that we think would put us in a better position to make disciples. All those things are online. If you want to get involved in any of that, this is kind of the give hope time of year. Some of y'all might be turned on by the opportunity fund. So be it. Let me pray and we'll uh, jump into this passage today. Father, it is a joy for me to be a part of leading uh, this church, thank you for its 19-year history and all the people that have uh, been owners of it, partners, that have given up their resources and their time and their energy. and Many of them spent thousands of hours making disciples in one way or another, by volunteering, uh, serving our children, by uh, sitting at a at a Waffle House across the table, walking through the scripture with somebody, by joining the group, by leading the group. We just, we just have this team that you've assembled. And Lord, we, we want to continue on this mission. So give us energy for it. Even as we read your word today, remind us who you are so that we can be like you. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. So every Tuesday morning, uh, the campus pastors and I, we get together around a table and we, we call it sermon prep. We get ready for this. If you've met Russell Johnson, Russell Johnson is our teaching pastor and he leads that discussion. 
it's been particularly cool for me to sit at that table all throughout 2022 and just see and listen to the variety of gifts and takes that the guys have at the table. And it really blesses us. We do it together. We collaborate so that we can, we, we take it really serious what we deliver to you, to Radius. At our table, we have guys with all kinds of different gifts that your, your campus pastor contributes one way or another, right? If, if you're out at Centerville, uh, Maloney is passionate about like real people. Like who's, what's the normal guy thinking when I'm talking? Trey Sheely out in Saluda, I mean, he, he's our campus pastor most connected to the town. He's, he's always considering, well, how's the town processing this information that we're passing forward. Shuford downtown at Southside, I, you've probably picked this up, Southside folks, and he's been this great addition to our team because he brings this, this loving, devotional way of reading the scriptures that is deeply connected to his heart and relationship to the Lord, and yet, man, he just overflows with love for you guys. Olsen, you guys over at uh, Irmo, you know, he can be a little intellectual. So sometimes Olsen is flipping through on the computer or on his phone, look at researching even while we're talking, and yet has this deep pastor's heart. Patak over at, uh, over at uh, White Knoll, as you all know, brings terrific energy anytime he's in the room. So it's fun, like it energizes us. Another thing, I don't know if you know this about Patak over there, like he's two weeks out. He's a military guy. He's playing way out ahead. So he puts pressure on the rest of us. And all of this adds to the, to the learning for us and our ability to share God's word with you. I, I'm the old man. So I, maybe I bring experience to the table, but it's a joy to be there. And then we've added these young guys. And I want you to celebrate that today as we talk about being together. John Ross is getting ready to kick off uh, Radius Carolina downtown. We can't wait to see how that goes. But he's sitting in this room taking some of this in. Sean Coffey's in there. Some, Jacob Robinson, uh, Stevie over at Lexington's in there. We got this, uh, Jeremy Simmons over at Lexington. They're, they're in there and they're taking it in. And we hope that in the future, some of those guys will be taking God's word to different areas uh, not on our behalf, but on his behalf as we seek to accomplish the mission. We reviewed this week the Galatians series. We wrapped it up last week, and we were all asking, what did we learn? What did Radius learn? And then we asked what we individually learned. I thought it was fascinating listening to how God worked on each of us around the table. I'll share a couple of the thoughts. One of the guys said, man, I'm wondering if I've taught some legalism accidentally. Like at times, meaning well, kind of put that on top of people where they may have heard law when I really meant grace because I didn't get my words right. Another guy said, I wonder if I put some hurdles that people felt like they got to jump over before they can experience the grace of God. Well, we, we really want to do this well. Um, so it's fun to listen to the guy's process. One, one of the pastors was celebrating his deliverance from like a performance style of living uh, he was celebrating that from years in the past, but going back through the Galatians actually reminded him of it, and it was, it was fun. Another guy said, man, some weeks I feel like I'm crushing it, and then other weeks I feel like I'm totally failing, and, and it's just good to know that I'm a sinner in need of grace, and I can rest in that. One guy said uh, he's just been reminded to yield to the Holy Spirit, which helps him uh, do ministry, but it also helps him with anxiety and all other things that creep into all of our lives. It was really, it's really cool to be on that kind of team. I hope that you're feeling that, like at Radius, that you're becoming a part of the team. It's by God's design 
that you and I pool our gifts together and use them for his glory. For me, as, as I went through the book of Galatians, man, I, I was really convicted and challenged and reminded how I'm supposed to relate to God. And it reminded me of this, this story that Jesus told in Matthew 20. I want to read it to you. It's going to take me a minute. Uh, for me, it helps me to focus if I read off the screen. So you can read the verses off the screen as I read them and allow this story to do more than engage your intellect. Allow it to sink deeper into your heart. Here it is. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay a normal daily wage, and he sent them all out to work, probably 6 a.m., right, early. At 9 o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. He hired them, telling them that he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. At 5 o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. And he asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because no one's hired us. And the landowner told them, then go out and join the others in the vineyard. That evening when he told the foreman to call the workers to pay them, beginning with the last workers first, when those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, working one hour, each received a full day's wage. You cannot imagine how excited people in ancient days would have been to get a full day's wage. A full day's wage, they, they could go to the market and then buy food for their family to eat for a full day. They weren't week to week. They weren't month to month. They were day to day in ancient days. Verse 10. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed that they would receive more. But they, too, were paid a day's wage. And when they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people only worked an hour. Yet you paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat and uphill both ways in the snow. Right. Like <laughs> they're frustrated. And I get it. Verse 13. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay the last work the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want to with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? I don't know about you, but that story drives me crazy. And in recent years, I've begun to view it as, as beautiful. But man, as a kid, when I was first following Jesus and in my teens and in my 20s, it just, it drove me crazy. If you listen to it and it didn't bug you a little bit, let me make it bug you a little bit. Now, let's take some of the favorite conversations in our world right now, sex and money. So you mean to tell me, Jesus, because, because the landowner in the story is God and the workers are us. So you mean to tell me at the end of this life, if I have only had sex with the woman that I married over the course of the life, you're going to view me the same as the dude who partied his whole life and believed at the very end? What is going on here? Or money. Some of y'all been generous for years. Like you've been, been generous with your stuff. You could have bought other stuff. And you're going, Lord, I, I, my whole life since I followed Jesus as a child, I've been generous with my stuff. I've been giving it away. I've been trusting you with it. I've sacrificed. And you're going to you're going to view me the same as the guy who's chewed up all his resources and beyond and others just because he believed at the end. 
You feel it? I feel it deeply. In context, uh, he's just dealt with the rich young ruler. And Peter has asked Jesus in chapter 19. <laughs> he's got this amazing line. Peter says it like this. I'll read it. It's a little embarrassing to read, but I get it because I feel much more like Peter. He says, we've given up everything. What will we get? Anybody else that feel that way? It doesn't matter when you started following Jesus. You feel like you've given up a lot, I'm sure. Now, what will we get? There's a guy named Linsky. He writes of Peter's attitude. He says, the more we do, the more we earn, the more God owes us. Make you a little nervous. The more we do, the more we earn, the more God owes us. That makes me nervous. If you read the passage as it goes, Peter asked the Lord this question, and Jesus replies patiently and graciously, and he says, hey, Peter, I'll tell you what, anything you give up, homes, in our case, cars, your resources, your family, anything you give up on my behalf, I'm going to repay it a hundred times. I got to tell you the way I used to read that was a hundred times. That sounds right. That's, that's what I'm owed. I sacrificed. I ought to be given a hundred times. You think that's what Jesus is trying to say? No, Jesus is telling us he's going to overwhelm us with generosity. You can't sacrifice enough to match his generosity. It's ridiculous for you to be competing with somebody else who's followed him for a shorter amount of time or, quote, at a lesser level because he, in his grace, is going to pour it over us all. Jerry Bridges says it like this. He's telling us that God's reward is out of all proportion to our service and sacrifice. He's like, Peter, you really don't understand my grace. I have so much, I'm going to pour it over all the workers. He's telling us that the kingdom of heaven, God's reward system, is based not on merit, but on grace. I'm going to tell you, man, I've been meditating on that story from Matthew chapter 20. It just captures what Galatians is all about. It makes me honored that the Lord chose to allow me to serve him. I believed as a young boy. I don't know when you believed, but you and I ought to sit in these chairs this morning and thank him for the opportunity to serve him whenever he chose us. And excited. It makes us excited because of that, that outpouring of his grace on us that others have chosen the same. And so we sit in a room today, no matter where somebody is, if they're sliding in the ditch, we want to rescue them, not condemn them. If they're struggling, we'll put our shoulder to their burden, right? Galatians chapter 6, we'll put our shoulder to their burden because we get it, because we have all been overwhelmed with his grace. I thought about it a bunch, and I can remember playing ball and, and uh, playing in a way where I hope the coach was looking at me. Anybody else do this? I wanted the coach to look at me. I wanted to play hard so the coach would look at me and leave me in the game. And then there were times where I would play not to screw up so the coach, <laughs> if he was looking at me, wouldn't take me out of the game. Anybody? No, I didn't want to sit on the bench, so I tried to do just what he expected, and I would turn into somewhat of a robot, and all my freedom would disappear because I was worried about what the coach said. Some of us are serving God that way. And others of us are serving God this way. Man, we would go to the pool when I was a kid, and I'd get on that diving board. And what did you say? 
Mama, watch me. My mama got so sick of me yelling, Mama, watch me. But you go, Mama, watch me. Every little flip, every little twist, every little, every little thing you did off that dime board, you're yelling to your mother to watch you because you know that she loves you unconditionally. She's already proud of you. And there's all this joy and freedom as you climb back up the ladder, run back and jump on the diving board again and and do whatever goofy flip you do again. And there's this celebration and joy of of living because she's for you. She's going to give you love whether that flip turns out or not. You want you want her to be honored by your effort. I can still remember my mom eventually just going, hey, son. Stop telling me to look at you. But God doesn't seem to get tired. He, he's going to give to us a hundred times. So we celebrate it for us all. Man, we want that freedom for radius. So we spent a whole two or three months talking about freedom from the book of Galatians. And now we're going to transition. And we'll take four Sundays, including Christmas Eve, which is a Saturday night, and talk about the spirit of Christmas. I was really moved by the end of Galatians as, as Paul begins to write about the Holy Spirit. Now, you probably remember these verses that include the fruits of the Spirit. This is Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. And so for the next three weeks after today, We're going to take the first three of those, and we're just going to talk about how the Holy Spirit produces these things and how it ought to play out, and we certainly ought to celebrate it at Christmas time. So we'll talk about peace, and we'll talk about joy, and then finally we'll talk about love. There's a similar passage in Colossians that I wanted to read to you and take a few minutes to talk about this morning. Since God chose us, God chose you to be a holy people he loves. He must clo- you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, and gentleness, and patience. That sounds real similar to Galatians, doesn't it? One's the Holy Spirit, but this is about God choosing us. And then you must, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now check out verse 13. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. What a crazy passage for the church in the United States in 2022. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. I wrote in my notes, The gathered church should be the best place on earth. It's a room full of Holy Spirit-powered, grateful to be loved by God, forgiveness machines. That's what that verse just said. The gathered church, that's when we all get together on a Sunday, whether it be at Radius or the church down the road. The believers, when the believers are in a room together, it should be the best place on earth. It's a room full of Holy Spirit power, grateful to be loved by God, forgiveness machines. There's a spiritual quality about us being together. Even right now, it would be appropriate for you to pray for the other folks in the room and for yourself that this this meeting that we're doing today, this gathering would would be spiritual. I don't mean like, like some kind of mystical spiritual, but I mean Holy Spirit spiritual, that he would move on us in a room together. 
All of us who believe, we possess him. He indwells us, says the scriptures. And so it's got this spiritual quality. Man, it ought to make us worship. We ought to be so grateful when we're together. We want to be together because we want to talk about what he did for us. You know here at Radius we do that weekly with the Lord's Supper. And we ought to be incredibly hard to offend. Christians ought to be the hardest people on the planet to offend. Based on this verse. Based on God's forgiveness for us. The word forgive in the Greek means to release, to hurl away, to free yourself. There's a story, I read it, I could not find it back in the day. It's, it's about a group of monks in a monastery, and evidently they would have these grievances against each other, which I read, it kind of it made, made me chuckle. I'm like, what did they do? Like, like did, did somebody leave something dirty? Did somebody cut and lie? I don't know what exactly, or did somebody sing off key? I don't know what happens in a monastery, but the monks would get frustrated with each other, so they developed this, this thing, and so they would they'd take a bowl like this, and they'd all get together, and they'd celebrate just that definition of forgiveness. They'd dip their hands in the bowl, and then they'd release the water. There'd be just this activity of trying to release the grievances that they had against other monks in the monastery. I chuckled when I read it, and I thought, man, how petty must those offensive have been? And then uh, I thought a little bit about my marriage and yours. And this week I read about... Uh, a man who got mad at his wife because she didn't replace the soap in the shower. That was her job. They had divided up jobs in the house. She didn't put soap in the shower. He got mad, fussed at her, and it made her so mad at him for fussing at her about something so petty. This is what the writer said. They didn't talk for eight years. What's your story? We all got one. I'll tell you mine. I guess that's my job, right? Like, Ours was a card game, and, and if you know my wife, Cheryl, you probably want to ask her version because I'm still not sure that we agree on how this thing really went down. We went to some friend's house. I've told some of y'all this before. We went to some friend's house, and we're playing cards. It was a card game. I stunk at it. I always lost. When we walked in the door, Cheryl told me that she was not feeling great. She was, it was our first child. She was fairly pregnant, and... She said she might get hungry or stomach was a little upset. So we started playing cards with our friends, and it's an individual game. So four of us sitting there, another couple across the table, and lo and behold, this night I am hot and I am dominating. I know that's a shocker to y'all. I'm, I'm, dominating, I'm dominating the card game, and, and we get, you play to 100 this game, and I'm in the 70s, and then all of a sudden Cheryl's like, I'm not feeling well. We got to go. I'm like, we're finishing the game. And so she gets up and leaves the rent room. Ladies, you know what happens. The other wife is like looking at me with like fire in her eyes. But I'm like, I know this guy. I'm winning the game. And she's, she's faking this. Ain't no way she's upset. She just don't want to lose. And so she goes in another room. And if she tells a story, she sobbed in the room. I didn't hear it. I promise. I didn't hear it. She's sobbing in another room. She eventually said she was sobbing so hard. Their nose started running. In the meantime, I'm in the room dominating. Winning the game. So I finish. And I go in the room to find her. I'm like, this is going to be really interesting. When I get there, she's not there. 
So I walk outside. I just kind of wave to our friends. And I walk outside hoping they're not going to watch. Do you remember this when you were a newlywed? Or maybe y'all were better than this. I walked outside and the car was gone. <laughs> she had gotten in the car and driven home. And there was no way in the world I was going back in the house. So I started walking home. I don't remember. It felt like 20 miles. It's probably two, three miles. I started walking home. About halfway home, I started laughing. I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. Pre-cell phone, some of y'all young people. There's no way I could call her or text her. So I'm walking home, and I finally get there. I come in the house, and she's already in bed. I'm like, all right, so I need to do something. There's dishes stacked. We're newlyweds. We ain't done dishes in a week. So I did all the dishes. And while I'm doing the dishes, I begin to hear something. I begin to hear her sobbing back in the bedroom. I, I walk back to the bedroom, and I'm just going, man, I, I walked all the way home, and I did all the dishes. What's he crying about? And we went in there, and it may be the most important night of our marriage. We argued horribly for hours on end, but somebody had to eventually say they were sorry. Otherwise, there's no telling where that card game would have ended. There's no telling what that little, petty, stupid, <laughs> stupid reaction that I had to her and she had to me would have played out in our marriage and cursed the child in her womb. Somebody had to eventually say they were sorry. They had to release the offense. There's a word called resentment. For some of you, it owns you. You've got somebody in your mind even as I speak. For some of you, you've got a list of them. And if we were to... Uh, name their name in front of you, you wouldn't be able to hide. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to cover with your face how you feel about them. One of the, one of the writers says that uh, to have resentment is like picking a scab. You were offended once by some event or some group of events, and you will not let it go so you continue to pull that scab away so that you can feel the pain again. Eventually, it's as if you become addicted to the pain. And you have this weird and unhealthy obsession with, with that person. And so you pick and you pick and you pick. And it literally consumes you. I read a story this week of a Jewish man moving to America after World War II. And he said he didn't know Hitler, but he knew the atrocities of Hitler. He said he had to forgive Hitler, even though Hitler was dead. Before he came to America, he said he didn't want to bring Hitler with him. He didn't want him to live inside of him in essence as he held that resentment and kept picking that scab and it would allow him to own them. There's a Christian missionary to China that escaped with his family uh, when the Communist Party took over China and many of his missionary friends were killed by the communists. And he, he said he had, he had to forgive the communists or he would no longer be able to, to give the gospel message. He'd have no message at all because the message of the gospel is forgiveness. Some of y'all about to go home for Christmas. You're about to hang out with a mom or a dad or a son or a daughter or a sibling 
that you've harbored resentment for, with, for and with for a long time. Man, today, why don't you start the process of forgiving them? Philip Yancey says it like this, forgiveness breaks the cycle of blame and loosens the, the stranglehold of guilt. It's in a book that's called What's So Amazing About Grace, top five books I've ever read in my life. It applied to me so directly. It moved my heart. So he's saying, hey, if you want to break the cycle of blame and loosen the stranglehold of guilt, come back here and release that resentment. I don't want to make too light of that because some of the offenses in the room aren't petty like card games and soap not replaced. Some of y'all have suffered uh, unimaginable abuse. We've got real friends here at Radius. I heard your stories. Cheryl's passed along a couple difficult stories of abuse. We always see great pain that comes from unfaithfulness, whether it be in marriage or in other ways. We're not making light of this. Like you can just stick your hands in water and be done with that. As a matter of fact, I, I want to say real clearly, forgiveness and justice can coexist. Right? Like they go hand in hand. God's both just and he's a, a forgiving God. However, man, if you don't start the process of forgiveness, this thing can just eat away at your soul even though you were, were the victim. That doesn't mean that you have to reestablish a relationship with somebody that abused you, right? That doesn't mean that you don't set up really clear boundaries so that that doesn't happen to you or somebody you love again, right? Like, that's justice and that's right. But on the flip side, when we harbor resentment, it just continues to eat away at us. Louis Smeeds says it like this, the first and often the only person to be healed by forgiveness is the person who does the forgiveness. When we genuinely forgive, we set a prisoner free and then often discover that the prisoner we set free was us. I know that to be true. The few times where bitterness really grabbed my soul. It just, it, I could not get those thoughts out of my mind and it owned me. Man, today, together, man, the campus pastors and I, we, we were praying that you and we would examine our hearts and where there's resentment, we would begin the process of forgiveness. There's a movie called, I'll try to say it, Les Miserables. Uh, we call it Les Mis at my house. Dude, you'll even like this movie. If you haven't seen it, it's, uh, it's probably 15, 20 years old. The main character's name, I'll try to say it right, Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean. He uh, got locked up in a prison camp, really when he was young, for stealing a loaf of bread. He serves, if I remember right, 15 years or so, and he's released. And back in those days, if you're released and you've been in prison, nobody would house you. You couldn't stay in a hotel. You couldn't find a place to stay because you had to carry around this card that showed that, that you were a felon. And so he... Uh, he wandered around, and eventually there's this guy, this bishop. And this bishop invites him to stay in his home. 
If you watch the movie, the bishop's wife's a little hesitant about it. But Jean Valjean moves into the guest room in this nice soft bed. He sleeps the night. And as soon as the bishop and his wife go to bed, he gets up and he steals all of their silver. The scene uh, goes forward. The, the bishop hears him and, and Jean Valjean like, sees the bishop and, and he, he cracks him across the head. The bishop falls on the ground and he's bleeding down his face and, and his wife's like shaking her head, which is classic. And then he runs away and, and the bishop goes back to bed. The next day, the police show up with Jean Valjean. They, he, they've got him and they've got all the silver. And it, it's this amazing line. You got to watch it. Turn it on with the family. I mean, it's just an amazing movie about forgiveness. The bishop cries out when the policemen come to the door. So here you are. I told you to take the candlesticks. They're made of silver too. And he begins to exclaim how much they're worth. And he grabs the silver candlesticks. His wife's expression in the background is amazing. He passes the candlesticks back to Jean Valjean. And this guy, he says, now, now you promise me you make right by this forgiveness that's been trusted you. It transforms him. If you watch the show, he keeps those candlesticks for the rest of his life and he gives and he gives and he gives. He's a man who overflows with giving because of the forgiveness that's been given to him. Man, when you and I, no matter how long we've worked in the vineyard, how long you've served the Lord, when we view that as our honor <laughs> and we realize and, and really connect with the folks that have only served an hour because in many ways we're all the folks that got picked up in the marketplace that nobody would hire that were lost at the last minute and were given an hour's worth of work and he paid us in full, a full day's work. He's given us forgiveness and then trusted us with a relationship with his father. And then given us the third part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And then invited us to spend eternity with him in, in heaven. Though we had no business being anywhere near a holy God. Given that to us. How Colossians read. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Remember how the Lord's Prayer goes? I don't know how you said it. But forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Crazy line in the Bible. Jesus teaching the disciples how to pray. Forgive, forgive those who the, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. So he said, forgive us like we do, like we forgive the people in our radius. I want to quit with this quote. It's a little long. I'll read it to you. And then you and I at six different radius churches this morning, we're going to have an opportunity to release and forgive. Here's what Henry Nouwen says. But God's forgiveness is unconditional. It comes from a heart that does not demand anything for itself, a heart that's completely free and self-seeking, of self-seeking. It is divine forgiveness that I have to practice in my daily life. It calls me to keep stepping over all my arguments and say forgiveness is unwise, unhealthy, and impractical. It challenges me to step over my needs for gratitude and compliments. Finally, it demands that I step over that wounded part of my heart 
that feels hurt and wrong and that wants to stay in control and put a few conditions between me and the one whom I'm asked to forget. I related to that so, so directly. Hey, today, would you begin the process of forgiveness for somebody in your circle and at the same time walk forward or walk to the back of your room, wherever it is, and celebrate the fact that Jesus forgave you? We've set little tubs of water. I've got mine. We set them all over the rooms. They're right near the Lord's Supper, the bread and juice. And if you would uh, really courageously, don't fake it. You're not ready to do this. Don't force it. But take that list of names or that one name that's popped into your mind. And make your way up to that bowl as we sing this first song. Dip your hands in and scoop out the water and release it. Just release it as a symbol of how you want to forgive that person, that person, maybe in this very room. Perhaps, husbands and wives, we do this often on a Sunday morning. When you take bread and juice, you take your wife or your husband back in a corner and you work something out. And you ask for forgiveness. Perhaps there's somebody across the room, and you may want to be bold enough to walk across the room and deal with something that has separated the two of you. Remember, as you take this water and you release it, we're doing what he did. When Jesus asked us to come take bread and juice in remembrance of him, he was executing the Father, Son, and Holy Spirits. It was executing their plan to give us forgiveness so that you and I sit in a room free. So this ought to be the best place in the world to be this morning because free people sit in the room. We love y'all. It is, uh, it's a pleasure to do this together. Let's pray. Father, you know us. Right this second, I don't have a deep resentment for anyone. So as I take this water and I drop it out of my hands, it doesn't have quite the same feel that it's had in the past when I've had something harbored in my heart. Pray for each person taking this in. Six different places that you would, Holy Spirit, Jesus, work on them even if they're not ready to do this, that you'd begin the process in their hearts. If they are ready to do this, that you'd help them do it the right way. Maybe be willing to talk to somebody about it afterwards. Anyway, we, anyway it works out with this water, Lord, we are here again today to celebrate the fact that you died on the cross and gave us forgiveness. And as we think about the spirit of Christmas, we recognize the true spirit of Christmas is the Holy Spirit as he, along with you, Jesus, have uh, executed a plan from the Father to save our souls when you sacrifice yourself on the cross. We love you. We trust you with these next minutes of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.